Welcome to the Fail Forward podcast. The purpose of this podcast is change the negative stigma around failure into a positive. Failure is only a negative if we do not learn from it and we give up. Welcome back to the Fail Forward podcast. Today, I'm absolutely honoured to have Ben Jury, the culture guy, coming on. And as you guys know, I always talk about culture being one of the four pillars, along with marketing, um, sales and marketing numbers and systems so when um, me and ben were chatting ben um, has done a lot of culture stuff for me in my business i was like i've got to get ben on to for the fail forward podcast this is also our second attempt so we officially did fail forward um because we we, we tried it once the internet let us down and i'm not going to rant on for an hour about internet in this country um but yeah this is the second attempt and it's going to be a better attempt because we're going to fail forward in true fail forward fashion so welcome ben good to have you here <laughs> thanks thanks again Henry. <laughs> so tell me ben tell me a bit about your journey because obviously you've not always been the culture guy tell me about what what where did where did work life start for you um and and what sort of journey have you been on to become the culture guy that's a great question, and <clears throat> it's quite a long story. Hopefully, I can, can condense it into sixty seconds. Um, <clears throat> but I, yeah, like you said, I, I haven't always been the culture guy, and I didn't leave school thinking, you know, what I want to do. I want to work in culture. Nobody does that. But <clears throat> I started life uh, in tech, building uh, internet banks back in the nineties, before Google dot com existed. Um, and I worked in all sorts of companies. I've toured with a theatre company. I'm a trained child protection social worker. I've worked in retail. I've worked in education. I've worked in banking. And all the way through, I'm watching how kind of leadership and execs treat their people. And I'm like, well, that doesn't seem like the best way to get what you're asking people to do. I don't, but you're the exec. You must know what you're doing. You're the leader. You must know something I don't. And it took about 20 years to realise that they actually didn't. And <clears throat> at that point, I started to put some ideas down on paper put some thoughts out there and other people came to me and said, you know what, I've been feeling the same. Can you come and help us? And it kind of snowballed from there and I got a few clients and I wrote a book uh, and I, I kind of fell into it by accident, but I love it because it, and it, it comes down to the fact that I think I see the world in a slightly different way to other people. And therefore I see things and I see, I see the way things affect individuals and affect people. And that allows me to look at cultures and go, well, is this the best way to get what you're trying to get done? Would you call that empathy? <laughs> I'm hesitating because I probably would, but if I use that word, it means I've, I've got to understand my children and my wife better. And I'm trying to avoid, <laughs> I'm trying to avoid getting into that discussion because I'm lousy at that side of it. I know, but I think you can have empathy in different occasions, but I think, you know, seeing things differently, it's something certainly my wife has, has helped me with a lot over the years is just seeing things from other people's point of views um, and understanding why people, why people work the way they do and the why we why, why we are the way we are you, you see it a lot on social media i often watch people that you know when you see these kind of massive um just these scandals where people have posted something on social media and it's just gone boom and the world's take i'm like surely you saw that coming how would you not see that that is how people are going to react and i can't get my head around it so you're right there is a level of empathy that you just kind of see the way things are going to pan out yeah, well, I have to have a lot of empathy because I get trolled quite a lot online by um, other tree surgeons who think my tree surgery mastermind is is something of a con. Um, and I have to think in their position. And quite often, 
um, and this is going a bit sideways from culture, and we're talking about empathy, but quite often the person who's attacking or, or, or being aggressive or being un- upset, there's a lot more to it than me. Um, and they're not actually happy. And one of the biggest things someone taught me is it's like looking in a mirror sometimes. People mirror the way they feel and they're attacking out because they're unhappy and angry. So I have to remember that when I'm trying to reply with integrity to someone trolling me and have to just imply it in a nice way. Anyway, we're going slightly sideways away from culture. So tell me, going back when you were doing all these different jobs you were doing, what were the bosses like that you worked for? It's a great question and it did vary. I've been in some toxic situations and I've been in some really, really good situations. I've worked for a high street bank where my line manager, brilliant, absolutely understood what was going on. She, She was just so good and she cared about people and she understood people. The organization itself, terrible. You know, and it's just, it, it is what it is. And I've worked in some organisations where I've worked with toxic bosses and they're just, the goalposts move on a daily basis. And then they come and say, well, why haven't you done this? I'm like, because you told me not to do that because you gave me something else to do yesterday. Why? Well, it's like, but you should have done that as well. I'm like, that's not what you said yesterday. And it's just, the whole thing just makes it really, really difficult to operate in that kind of space. So yeah, I've been, I've been through them all and I've been, I've worked in places, I worked in a, an educational establishment that will remain nameless. And my boss was completely inept, absolutely lovely person, but didn't know how to do a job. And obviously that stops us being able to do our job to the best of our ability. And it's varied. And, you know, the organisations I work with are similar. Some are really, really bad and need some help. Others are nearly there and just want some handholding for that last 5%. Yeah, and totally agree. Um, my experience with culture, I kind of fell upon culture. Um, in a sense, and but that was all driven from bad bosses. So I worked for um, a recruitment company. Um, the boss or manager was a cokehead, um, aggressive type person. Um, yeah, joyful, and he was just he just bullied me every day. Literally, abu- like literally verbally abused me every single day. And I remember just thinking, what is this about? Like. Why am I getting attacked? Like I'm coming to work, I'm being reliable, I'm turning up and doing what they're asking me, but because he's not getting the results, he's getting pressure and then that's being pushed down to me. So his way of dealing with it was just shouting at me every day and calling me a wanker and just being generally abusive. Uh, I had another boss in car sales. Um, he, he was ruthless. We didn't hit our target one Sunday and he pulled everyone into a room and then asked everybody to, to, to pick somebody to get sacked. Um, and we had to pull straws. I mean, like, uh, and we that's going to gonna motivate actually... everybody next week, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and actually, funny enough, the best salesperson drew the short straw and left. But he was back within a few days because it was all just a bit of a it was all a bit of a show, um, a show of these are how big my balls are. Um, and there was lots of different things and I won't go in, into deep of it. But a lot of that made me realize I had some bad tree surgery bosses that every time something went wrong, they'd like shower you, be really aggressive. And I kept thinking, I'm coming to work and I'm getting this abuse. And I remember starting my own business and one of the drivers started my own business, one of my father telling me to do, do that from a young age. But when I started my own business, I thought, I'm gonna be a different type of boss. I don't wanna be a boss that's gonna shout at people, abuse people, be rude, be obnoxious, be all those things, because I know that I didn't enjoy it and I know how I felt. I didn't wanna turn up to work. I didn't wanna be part of that team. Um, and it did, really didn't work out for me. So I kind of stumbled across culture with but i didn't really know what culture was then i just looked after my team really really well and then what happened with looking after my team is they turned up every day they were reliable the customer service was amazing on site all these great things happened for it and actually when i met you ben i was introduced to you introduced by james and kelly to you 
um, it was at a point when I really needed it to be refined and I started understanding what, what culture meant more than just, oh, well, I, you know, I look after the team and we go for a beer together. Um, so what, that's my view of, of how I found culture. So how did you then transition from, you know, I know you said you sort, you, you sort of got some people doing it for people, but where did you start learning from it? How did you really transition from, you know, being an employee to the culture guy? That's a great, that's a great question. I mean, there's some things in what you said yourself in terms of culture. A lot of organisations that I worked with were doing quite well, but they didn't know it was culture. And what they hadn't done, which is what you've now done, is articulate it so everybody was on the same page and understood what was going on. <clears throat> and I think I, I kind of stepped into it in that space where I saw, I saw people like yourself. And I said, well, actually, if you want this to really work and you want to elevate it and you want you want to really kind of drive it home and differentiate yourself from everybody else in the market, we have to distill what you've got in a way that everybody can understand it and everybody else as part of the organisation can come along and go, yes, I understand what we're trying to build here. I understand why you behave like this and I understand why this is a rule that we have in this organisation. And so I stepped into that space and because I was able to translate what people were trying to build into words, I was able to articulate it and write it down and start to write playbooks for people to say, look, this is who we are and this is what it means on a daily basis. So it was it was exactly that that I kind of stepped into. That That's how I, I, I went from having an idea and understanding it into, well, what is the product here that people actually need right now? And it's, you know, it's grown since then in terms of... Um, I've written down uh, a lot of the, the framework that I use and we're now looking to kind of license the framework to other providers next year. But that, that's the space I stepped into, the space that you were talking about where you were building it, but you couldn't quite articulate what you were building so everybody else was on the same page. That was the space that I initially saw needed my help. Nice. And so what is, how do you articulate it? What are the, what are the steps or not the steps, but you know, what do you need in your business to articulate it? Business is, is really, really simple when you look at it. It's relationships with purpose. That's all it is. We gather a load of people to do something. That's it. But within that, there are, there are what I look at, essentially three parts of the business. There's the people you've got, who have you got, who they are. There's the language you use and the way you talk about your business, all the kind of things, the marketing, the internal comms, the way you talk to each other, the language you use to describe your business when you talk to each other, all the kind of um, jargon terms that you might use. And then there's... The, the systems, which is another part of your model, the systems and processes. Are they? And <clears throat> what I found was that while people had a really good understanding of what they were trying to build, they weren't necessarily able to find the right people to help them build it. They weren't necessarily using a language that reinforced it and, and kind of reflected what they were trying to build. And that their policies and procedures didn't necessarily align with what they said were the behaviours they wanted from people. And so... I kind of put all that into a model that said, well, actually, once you've kind of defined who you are and what you want in that way, and we've got the playbook together, what does that mean for how you hire and who you hire? What does that mean for the language you use and the way you market your business and the messaging you use? What does it mean for um, your policies and procedures? And I'll give you a few examples. You know, if, you, if you talk about diversity and all your marketing has white men in it, nothing else, you've got to fix that because that does not reflect who you are trying to be as an organisation. That's a simple example. There are a lot more sophisticated, subtle ways of, of, of getting it wrong. And similarly, you know, in your processes, if you talk about collaboration, yet you're bonusing people on individual performance, you're not going to get collaboration. 
things like that, all those kind of things needed looking at. And it, people often weren't far off, but it, it's what I call the stick of rock principle. You know, when you go to the seaside in this town, um, you can buy what we call sticks of rock, which are hard candy. And all the way through the hard candy is the name of the town written in it. So whenever you break it, you can still see the name of the town. And that's what culture is in your organization, that no matter where I step into your organization, whatever touch point I've got, whether I'm in a meeting, whether I'm chatting over coffee, whether I'm looking at your marketing, it all looks and feels the same. It all reflects who we are as an organization. Like the blood, it's like the blood veins. It's like the blood running through the business, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so because I'm just mindful of our listeners and, and some of them are tree surgeons, some of them property, um, a lot of different business owners. What would you say if someone's saying, but, but Ben, like I hear what you're saying, but I still don't really understand what culture is. Tell me what culture is in layman's terms. Well, let me give you, let me give you a quick example. Whenever I do, um, whenever I do a workshop, I always bring this example up because it usually makes people emotionally connect with what I'm saying. But if you imagine you bumped into an old school friend that you hadn't seen for 20 years, they just moved back to the town you lived in, didn't really know anybody. They just started a new job and you thought a reasonably sensible friend at school. So I'll invite them around to my house for dinner the next day, maybe rekindle a friendship, help them out, connect with a few people. Um, so you invite them back for dinner the following evening. And the next dinner rolls around and you tidy your house and you prepare a beautiful meal and you lay the table um, and there's a knock at the door and your friend arrives, introduce him to your other half and you sit down to dinner. And this is where things get a little bit weird. Not, not good weird, weird weird. Before, you even, before you've even sat down and pulled your chair in, they're sat there and they've grabbed a load of food off the plates in the middle and they've piled it high on their plate and they're just shoveling it in with their hands. They're not using the knife and fork. And you're like, okay, what's going on here? And you start to ask them a question. Maybe once they, once we kind of get into things, they'll calm down a bit. Maybe they're a bit nervous. But you ask them a question and they talk for 30 minutes. They never ask you a question. They never engage in real conversation. They just talk at you for 30 minutes while spitting food across the table and shoveling it in with their fingers. And the language they use. Oh, man. The language, you, you know, words you've never even heard of before, but it, the language is so right, the air turns blue. Now, when I tell that story, usually there are people squirming in their seats going like this, going, oh, this is so uncomfortable just to listen to this story. And then I ask, well, what would you do in that situation? Would you just kind of feign tiredness and usher them out and never invite them again? Or would you challenge their behavior and say, you need to act more appropriately? And culture is that little word, appropriately. I've never sat down and put together the orientation manual for visiting Ben's house for dinner. There is, there is, I've not had that conversation with anybody. My wife and I haven't sat down and put down the rules of the game, but somehow there is an expectation of how people behave when they come around to my house. And it's unwritten. It's just what we expect of people, but the way we live our life. And that is what culture is, that every organization will have those unwritten rules, those ways of working, those things that we think are normal and acceptable behavior that is what your culture is and some organizations are really explicit about what that is some organizations it happens organically but from my experience when you let it happen organically usually ends up somewhere that you're not happy with but it's, it's that's it's simply that what is appropriate in this situation and what you'll find is that when two or more people come together in any situation whether it's two friends at school in the playground whether it's a family whether it's thousands in a multinational corporation there will be unwritten rules of the game. There'll be a shared understanding of what's going on. And that is what the culture is. Yeah, love that, love that. And then just following on question from that, if you were gonna, you know, obviously 
apart from coming and using your services, if someone's listening to this now and they're like, I just want to get one step in front of me to start getting my culture sorted in my business. What's the first sort of step you would do to take take on to start just trying to work out what your culture is or how to start implementing it? Yeah, the first thing is to answer a couple of questions. You know, why do you exist? What is it that you do that you add to the world as an organization? Ask yourself that question and not, you know, I make widgets. But why do you make widgets? What benefit is that with the widgets to the world? You know, actually, and it might be that we make the best widgets. So they only need to buy them once because our clients are getting ripped off by multinational widget manufacturers. So we're going to step in. That's that's our, that's what we're doing. We're, we're making it easy for our clients to build their stuff because we give them the best widgets. OK, that's you know, that's there's a purpose there. And the next question I would ask is, why do people get fired from your organization? Because what that does is start to highlight what are your values? What are the non-negotiable lines that you don't want people to cross? And if you know, if you put if you put legal stuff to one side, because you know, breaking the law, I'm assuming that's non-negotiable. People are going to get gone for breaking the law. But within the in the in the bounds of what's legal, what are the lines you don't expect people to cross? And when they do, they get fired because that is clearly where your values lie, essentially. Yeah, definitely. And so you've just mentioned values. Would you would you get people to start writing down? And, and a, a, another question to this is because I have a set of values. My set of values are similar to my company HRG's values, but they're different. So where do you draw the line between someone's personal values and a business values? And would you suggest people just to start writing those down? Yeah, a, a place is just to start because and, and values are one of those things that it becomes quite difficult. And one of the problems organizations often get is they don't go deep enough. You know, they'll talk about professionalism and they'll talk about honesty and they talk about reliability. And I'm like, yeah, but why? Why do you want those things? And usually it comes down to because I genuinely care about the people we supply succeeding. OK, well, now we're getting to a real heart with core value. It's not about professionalism. If professionalism, if you being professional stopped your clients succeeding, you'd stop being professional because it's about clients succeeding. So you know, the, the core value is about how do we serve our clients success? That is a core value. And yes, professionalism, reliability, trust me, might, might aid that, but they're not the values, they're symptoms of the values. And so you've got to start by writing it down, but you have to then start digging deeper to what is what links all these things together. What are the core things that link all these things together? And that is often where you need a third party to come in and start poking around a little bit so we can really kind of land some of those properly. Yeah, okay, amazing, love that. I've, do you know what, I was just on a call with someone a minute ago um, and if one of my mentees, he was saying, oh, I'm having a problem keeping hold of my guys and I'm having a problem with this and I'm having trouble finding guys. And I was like, so have you worked on your culture at all? Oh, I haven't got the time. I just don't have the time. I'm trying to do everything else. You haven't got to hire the right the... people till you, it's, you know, it is that vicious I don't circle. have the time. So, so, cause, cause I thought, okay, well this, how can I word that into a question? But I thought I'd just tell you the situation. What would you say to anybody that's sat here going, two things, why bother? Why bother? And I haven't got the time to do that. It's all right for someone else to say, oh, I'll do it, but I haven't got the time. I, those two questions are massively linked as well. You know, why? But if you get this right, it frees up a whole lot of time. So, you know, but again, you have to put in the time to do it. And yes, it is going to be painful because you're constantly firefighting. And if you're constantly firefighting, you clearly got some work to do on your culture. And it's I'm not going to beat around the bush. It will be painful to transition because you're going to have to put in the work to change it. And in doing that, there's going to be a lot of pushback from the arseholes you've currently got in your organization, clearly, if you have that many problems that don't belong there. And it's going to be all sorts. But if you don't do it, those problems are just going to continue. 
the, you're just going to have to constantly firefight. You're never going to get out of this hole. You know, it's like <clears throat> I haven't got time. I haven't got time to climb to build a ladder to get out of this hole because I'm too busy digging. I, I can't help you. You know, yeah. you, you ha you're going to have to do it. And it, it, if you don't have time, you don't have time. You're never going to solve the problems that you don't that are causing you not to have time. But the flip side of that is when you get it right, you find the people that can help you grow your business. You find the people that can help ease that pressure. They step into the role. They're people that turn up to work full of energy, hitting deadlines, going the extra mile, solving problems before you've even found out there's a problem. We all want people like that. And it, it, it doesn't necessarily, you can start really, really simply by changing how you advertise. And you know, a, a really simple example, restaurateurs come to me and say, I can't get wait staff. I can't get people to, I'm advertising for waiters and waitresses. I can't get them. We just haven't got enough staff. I'm like, stop advertising for waiters and waitresses. What you want to advertise for is for people who want to help families make memories that they'll talk about in 20 years time. Yes, you're going to have to clear tables and you're going to have to deliver drinks, but that's not what we want. We can teach you to do that bit. What we want is people that connect with people, people that make people feel comfortable, people that create environments where couples can come and have the night of their lives. That's what we want. Yeah, waiting tables and delivering drinks is that's that's sundry part of the job. And so you've got you can start just by that. What what do you want people to do? Somebody I was talking to somebody yesterday. They were looking for somebody to um, I can't remember what it was for. It was uh, an architecture practice looking to kind of use natural resources within homes. And they were looking for somebody to kind of work with clients on that specific area of natural resources with homes, you know, stonework and wood, etc. And they were they, the, all the adverts were about the skills they wanted. People that had this experience and this skill. I'm like, why are you advertising for that? You want someone that's passionate about the natural world indoors, a passionate about changing how we build buildings to use natural resources um, in sustainable ways. Yes, the rest of it you want as well. But unless you articulate it like that, you're not going to get the people that, that want to stick with the job. I, I, I totally agree with this. I, I get people all the time, tree surgery industry, it's really difficult to find staff. And all I ever see, and I tell my mentees on it, they just list all the qualifications someone needs and what what the company needs and it's like we need a b c d d d and then people just go Oof. and i'm like at that point you need to be marketing almost marketing yourself as a business to say this is what we do and this is what we want you to be part of this is the environment that we deliver this is how we look after our team this is what we do this is the experience you're going to get this is to come and be part of this really cool team and be part of something really special moving forward and not enough people do that and it's very much still very seems the recruitment process overall seems very old school in that way that we're just asking for people to tick boxes and once you tick those boxes then we might consider giving you an interview and it's it's lacking the creativity for someone to go cool as you say i want to create experiences for families that's that sounds cool and you might even get more people going into being waiters and waitresses because they go actually i never really th i've never really thought about that that sounds like a cool job i'm going to go for that yeah. um, well, it's, it's like it's like logistics companies. They're all advertising for lorry drivers. Last year, when we left the EU, a lot of lorry drivers went home at Christmas and never came back because they're all EU citizens and not British citizens. And so you know, we're really struggling. And I'm like, stop advertising for lorry drivers. Advertise that we are the backbone of Britain. Without us, the rest of the country doesn't run. Without us, entrepreneurs and, and small business shop owners and everybody else cannot do their job. You make that happen. Come and help me keep Britain running. Yeah, love that. That's what we're looking for. Love that. And and you know what? Going back to the original question, because I kind of knew the answer 
in my terms, um, but I didn't want to share that at the beginning because I wanted you to explain your bit. But my what I've seen, the culture in my business is that our staff retention is huge. We rarely have anyone leave on their own accord. Um, our customer service is amazing. Like if you le read our reviews in our business, you almost looks like the same person's written all of them because you get the similar thing of the start the staff were kind attentive nothing was a problem you know that they cleared up really well um all these sort of you know different these good buzzwords that they're doing um we don't teach our guys customer service we don't we don't do a customer service course we just look after them and then they they they, they turn up and care um we, my business, my tree surgery business is not perfect in any, any way. And I'm sure there's lots of different things that we could solve within it. But one thing that I know is we do well is we look after our team and that keeps those diff days when it's difficult, it keeps them working together as a team. You know, one of our values is teamwork. Um, so they, they all know that they, they want to be turning up and being part of the team and part of that. So, yeah, I just wanted to share my, my experience of get doing culture and we probably don't have the most perfect culture in the sense it's still probably not flowing through the blood veins but one thing we've done is is that we've made sure we've got the values and the, the vision and where we want to be and, and our purpose you know our one of our purposes is to be one of the top 100 companies to work for in the uk because uh, again i had those really crap um bosses and i was like i don't want to be part of a you know an organization that doesn't look after its Nobody teams. does. Nobody does. Yet business owners aren't prepared to put in the work to build the companies that people do want to be part of. And that's the problem. I wish they did on the one hand, because that'd be brilliant. But it mean, does mean I'd be out of a job if they did. Yeah, exactly that. So in, in the terms of, because I'm sure people start still think, oh, well, this culture thing, it's all a bit fluffy. It's all a bit fluffy. Uh, that's not going to work well. Like, is it going to cost me money? Um, so it's going to cost it's me gonna some money. It's going to save you money. It's absolutely yeah, so going to save you money. This is the next question is, is what are the numbers? Uh, research shows that revenue goes up by up 700% when you've got a strong culture, without a doubt. Wow. And um, there's That's less huge. 700%. That's huge. 700%. Yeah, yeah. And there's less, there's less detailed research on the savings, but the savings from staff turnover are huge. You know, every person that leaves costs you an annual salary for that person to replace. Often that's, you know, that's generally the yardstick. So if you can reduce that by three people a year, that's three salaries you've saved. You know, the num like I said, the research is not as detailed in that, but the numbers stack up very, very, very quickly. Yeah, it's crazy actually thinking, thinking about it. I'm not going to name him, but there's another tree surgery business about half an hour away from us. And um, he's, a, he's a character. Um, I get on with him, um, but he does not look after his staff well at all. And he's just got a revolving door. And I wonder how much that's costing him just in that revolving door of you know maybe not delivering work because he's not got enough staff or losing people having to continuously advertise and recruit you know that there's all those costs so it's quite a difficult thing to quantify isn't it really um because a lot of business owners look at things as hard numbers on on a spreadsheet and and can can you define culture on a spreadsheet can you do that you can if you compare a company before and a company afterwards because that gives you really clear metrics that you can look at every company i've ever worked with makes more revenue and reduces cost after we've worked with them. Whatever, whatever, whatever you spend on, on someone like me, and you know, there are plenty of people out there doing it. Um, I'm, I'm part of a group of people that all do this and they're, you know, they're all brilliant. Um, but whatever you spend on me, you will get back in spades in increased revenue, reduced staff turnover, reduced management costs. 
How much time does it take to manage crap staff, even if they don't leave? It, you know what I mean? Loads. Well, I've been through uh, only a couple of times. We've been through full disciplinaries with staff and we've got a HR consultant. And that HR consultant has cost us money, cost me time, it cost me stress. I, I've had some most stressful... To, one of them was of extremely stressful time and it was a key member of staff in our business. And actually the HR process worked, um, but, you know, uh, and he still works for us now. Um, and I think that's something down to, towards the culture. But it does. It costs a lot of money, HR, doesn't it? It costs loads. Absolutely. Thousands. And I, I always look at it as, you know, the legal side of HR is like a fence that's right up against the cliff. If you fall over that, you're buggered. Culture is the fence we build 30 yards in. So we can make mistakes, we can get it wrong, we can fall over the fence, but it's all fixable because we're all on the right team and we're still on the right side of the wrong fence. You know what I mean? And that's the way I look at it. If you're, if you're playing your business right up against the, the cliffside fence, you make mistakes, it costs a fortune and it's horrible and it's painful. You get your culture right and you start operating here, mistakes can be made and they can be cleaned up and often they're made and cleaned up before you even realize they've happened without it doing too much damage to an organization. You know, it's that it's that old, old adage. If you if you've got to BCC somebody in an email or you've got to pull out the the staff manual and look at point four, point two, point one, you're probably already in trouble. <laughs> if you get your culture right, you rarely you almost never have to go go to that point because you deal with it. Definitely. What do you what would you say the biggest challenges are in implementing culture into businesses like businesses that are already well established with multiple staff? What would you say the biggest challenges you see? The biggest challenge by far is understanding and being okay with people going, oh, well, this is shit. I'm leaving now. Thanks very much. Bye. It's like, well, no, that's okay. Because they are the people that generally don't fit the culture and will be causing kind of friction within that culture. Not that they're bad people or bad employees or wrong, just not the right place for them to work. Yeah. And it, it, that is one of the hardest things. It's like, well, if I do this, I'm going to lose staff. Like, yes, you are. But you're going to lose the wrong staff and we're going to put a recruitment thing in place, which means you'll have the right staff begging to work for you. And there'll be hundreds of them. And you'll have your pick and choose of the best because they will see what you're building. And they want to be part of it. But it's really scary to do that. It's really scary to go, well, hold on a minute. If I'm two staff down for three months, what does that mean? I can't, I can't afford to do that. So that's by far the hardest part, just overcoming that hurdle. And it, it is very much. You are going to have to do this because you, you've hit a growth point. You, you're not going to grow anymore until we get over this. And yes, it does mean you might have to dip so you can take off. But it's just one of those things, isn't it? Yeah. And, and it, the old cliche saying, which I, I love this saying, and I didn't really understand it until a few years ago. But when one door closes, another one opens. And we've had that with staff leaving. And we had it when... Um, when we, we'd already always sort of had a good culture, but when we really drove into the culture, when you came and helped us and supported us and helped us write the playbook, um, I remember having that conversation with you and saying, we might, you might lose some people. And I was, I was accepting of that at the time because I wanted to get the culture right. But in fact, I didn't realize that one of our main guys left and I was like, Oh, okay, crap. This is difficult. Um, but the whole company breathed a sigh of relief and suddenly everyone went, oh, you know what? It's a lot more relaxed around here now, isn't it? And I'd sort of thought this guy was, you know, brilliant at what he did, which he was, but he was not the right culture fit. His attitude wasn't the right culture fit. The way he talked to people wasn't the right culture fit. And in fact, after that, someone else stepped into his role within the business. And it was like, okay, great, cool. Okay, this works really well. And it's so it, good to hear that. It really is. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. And, and, it, and it happens. It's scary. But literally, we've had guys who have, who have moved on who um, it always seems to happen in, in our firms where with the team the main team leader who's the main team leader because it's a very it's easy to get a big ego in our because you're swinging around holding big chainsaws and using big kit and it always seems to be like our main team leader gets a bit too a bit too overconfident and and sort of loses the culture and starts yapping at people a bit and you, and you sort of it's happened i've seen it i've been running our firm for 14 years now and every few years the, the sort of they, the main lead climber moves on and you go ah oh, damn what are we gonna do now and then someone else springs up through and as that's what we say as one door closes another one opens um and it certainly seemed like that way for us with the culture is when we started really working on it we did lose one person and it was a bit of a oh, okay that's right let's move on cool because we're going to get the right people in it's, it's more than just culture fit what you find is when you get the right people they bring a cultural contribution as well they look at what you're doing and go you know how we could do this better you know what we could do here you know what would really make this work Whereas those people that don't fit, you know, they'll get on with the job and they'll put up with whatever values you impose on them, but they don't bring life to what you're doing. And culture is a kind of living, breathing thing. You've got to have people that bring life to it and you've got to have people that contextualize it depending on situations. And you know, there'll be contexts that you as, a, as an organization have not been in. And therefore, when you go into those, somebody somewhere has got to step in and go, what, how do we operate here? What does our culture mean for how we do business in this space? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. And one thing I learned is uh, learn um, along the way is, is, is like you said earlier, the language. And we, you know, my, my one of my main managers used to say, "Thanks, guys, for your hard work this week." And I'm like, "No, no, we don't say thanks for your hard work. Thank them for their commitment, because one of our values is commitment. So start thanking everyone for their commitment. When we do an appraisal, you know, rather than rewarding someone on maybe their, you know, their skill set, we're going to reward people on the fact whether they've had fun at work and they've been part of the team and they've got the commitment which are all our values and they've always trying to improve themselves um so how important would you say language is in a culture absolutely a language is one of the key kind of um one of the key spokes of the of the culture canvas that i use words make a huge huge difference um, and i'm now struggling in the back of my mind to come up with an example that really illustrates it um, but but language is massive. You can use completely different words and they mean something completely different. You know, um, just trying to think of well, just like my hard work. When we have people saying hard work, because you're just telling people everyone that work is hard. And it's not about it's not, you know, that you can you can talk about. Um, I'm just trying to think of one now. That, this is the trouble, isn't it? We're doing, doing it live. You forget these things. It'll come. It'll come up in a minute. <laughs> come back. We you're can absolutely come back to it. right. It's that concept of, well, how do we talk about what we do? When we talk to our people about, like you said, the work they've done, are we talking to them about the values that are important to us or are we just talking to them in the same way every other organization talks to them? Let's be, let's stand up and be different and make it fit with our values. You know, we talk about, we constantly talk about cheerleaders in our organization and it comes with a connotation, but that allows us to then kind of unpack it a little bit. Um, and for us, cheerleaders are about whenever we have a conversation with somebody, do they leave feeling better and more excited about life? If they do, we've done our job. If they don't, we failed. And that's something we've got to fix. And we talk about being cheerleaders rather than critics. And we, um, yeah, people, you know, people can use the word boss or, you know, I, for example, in, in Northumberland, I coach rugby. And um, I lead a team that coaches women and girls rugby in Northumberland. And some people, kind of, some people keep using the term, you're the head coach, aren't you? And I'm not, I'm, not. I'm the lead coach. It's completely different. We're not here for hierarchy. I'm here to help 
all the other coaches get organized, make sure we've got the right people in the right place at the right time, you know, set a, set a general direction for what we're doing. But everybody feeds in. And you know, those coaches are far better than I am at coaching. And I'm better at looking after people and get. But the, word, the term head coach says something completely different to the term lead coach. And it, yeah, it, it's a, and it's a minor, minor change. And people go, well, what's the difference? Doesn't matter. I'm like, it absolutely does. Because if you use it enough, people start to kind of drift into, oh, well, that's what this means. It's hierarchy. He's in charge. It's like, well, I'm not. And so it's super important that you get even the slightest words right. Yeah, I, I definitely can see that. And um, so, so one of the main things that we have problems with in, in, in tree surgery is that we have staff that break kit. Um, and I get this constantly book from my mentees on the mastermind of someone's broke some kit, should I charge them for it? Or should I, do they, should they have a disciplinary? Um, and I always have to go back to culture in that is, is what trying to what kind of culture are you trying to create within your business? Because if every time someone makes, has, makes a mistake and then you're charging them for it, then you're creating a culture. You're creating quite a negative culture. You're going to hide it. They're going to start gonna, hiding it. Yeah. So what would you say to that? Well, I think the real thing in there is let's stop talking about someone broke kit and let's talk about this kit has been broken or this kit's broken. So you stop attributing person because kit breaks. You use it enough. It is going to break. So we talk about this kit's this kit's broken. What do we need to do rather than Johnny's broken this kit? That in itself is just a massive transition into, well, this is about the kit. It's not about the person. This is about the kit. Let's solve that problem. And Yes, don't get me wrong. There will be times, probably not in your organization because of the people you've hired, but I'm sure there are times in our organizations where people are pissing about and kit gets broken because they've done something stupid. How often, you know, if it happens once, they're probably more embarrassed about it happening than you are. They're not going to do that again, are they? So there is a level to it, but even just simple things like that. Let's talk about this kit's broken rather than so-and-so has broken this kit. Let's move the focus to the piece of kit that needs something doing to it and take the personal out of it. All sorts of things like that. You're absolutely right. You know, you, and if you've hired the right people, you don't need to worry about blame. If you haven't hired the right people and you have to worry about blame, then you need to sort your culture out and we can fix that. Yeah. Yeah. And I always see it as like, you're right. Like if you're going to pe penalize someone for something not going quite right, well, quite often, if it's a health and safety situation, if someone injures themselves on site, who's responsible? It's the director, it's the management. It's the management. So actually, if someone's broken something, you can you can blame, like you say, that member of staff for breaking something. But do they need more training? Do they need more support? Was the job organised properly? Was is there is there a bad culture in the business and people just don't care? You know what's going on for that for that to happen that that neglect and 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 it's so easy to go ah oh, and I remember because this is what where my the bad culture came from that I received oh you've broken something ah shout at you. And then every time someone breaks something, then they go, oh, right, we're not going to tell the boss. Everyone stiffens up. Things get broken more because everyone's stiffened up. Um, and so many people just see short-sighted, right, someone's broken something. It's your fault. I'm going to charge you. And then you're just creating a bad culture in itself because everyone's worried, scared about the boss. Everyone's scared about what to say. No one's going to report anything. No one's going to say when something's fixed. Something gets put back in the yard and it's broken. And it just creates this. And it's so such a challenge to get people to understand there's more to the picture, isn't there? There's more to the picture than someone is just, some, you know, if someone has broken something on site, there's more to that picture than just they've done that on purpose. But there's also, there's also a level to which at that point, what is the most important thing? It isn't blame, it's getting it fixed, getting on with the job. If somebody gets injured, what's the most important thing? Getting it sorted, getting them safe, 
getting them getting them help. If we need to talk about it afterwards and figure out why it's happened so we can make sure that the same things don't keep reoccurring, fantastic. But right now, throwing around blame and accusations does not actually move us forward. It just keeps us sitting here with our finger up our backside, not getting anything done. Job number one, let's solve the problem. And the problem is with the piece of kit, not the person. Definitely. And, and, and also it is with a piece of kit and then finding out what's wrong with the person. Because quite often shouting at somebody, you know, we do it. If someone's going, oh, do you know what? This guy's made a mistake three times in the last three weeks. Okay, well, have we actually asked if he's okay? Is there something going on at home? You know, it, it happened um, to a, a friend of mine um, and he had a member of staff. Actually, no, it wasn't a friend of mine. It was it was my contract manager in his old in his old business and we, he was we were talking about this actually when we had lunch for his, his interview he's now one of my main managers and he said to me oh yeah you know i said we're talking about culture and he said oh yeah i had a problem with a member of staff um they were suddenly over over a month period they were being really difficult really aggressive on site and he said what i ended up doing is i said i gave him a call out of side of work i said can we go for a go for a beer or a coffee met him for a coffee everything all right found out that his wife had uh, miscarried and instantly he gave him a wide berth he found out when when gary told me that story i was like cultural fit you are the right person for my business because instead of going down right i've got discipline this guy i've got to have a go at him he actually just took two minutes to go can we have a chat and then we you know we, we started this whole thing talking about empathy and that's where empathy comes in and i think empathy is a huge thing in culture is going Okay, so let's look at this from a different vision. Let's look at this from a different angle and let's speak about what's going on. And I think there's so much more that can be done than just shouting at someone and saying, oh, you broke a bit of kit because you're never going to know what, why that happened then, are you? And in that situation, he would have solved the problem far quicker than if he'd gone down the route of disciplinary and shouting at him because he's got to the root of it and he's gone, okay, how can we help? What do you need? If you have a week off, go through it with your wife, come back better. I mean, I'm not saying a week is what no, you need. I'm no, just, but it's exactly just an that. I think, I think, but, yeah, that's exactly what I think Gary did. And, and you're right. All of a sudden, a week later, problem is solved because he comes back and he feels cared for and he knows it's a safe place, et cetera, et cetera. So his work improves. You could have shouted at him for three months and not get any better. And eventually he leaves and it costs you 20 grand. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. And that's that. That's the power of having a right, the right culture. And we we're talking about recruiting, right? Um, you know, I met Gary a couple of times before I recruited him. Uh, someone told me about said, How did you head on him? Well, I took him for lunch and, and got to know him. You know, he's going to be one of the main people in my business. I want to know who the main person in my business. Does he fit right culturally? Rather than a lot of people, and you probably see this all the time, I need someone, right, someone's applied. Yep, you've got the job. Yeah, I've seen your CV. I've found your references. Yeah. You can do what you say you can do. How important would you say the recruitment process is for culture? I, I, always, I always say hire for cultural contribution first. You can train for skill. You can't, you can't shift people into, you know, you can't shift people into a culture in which they're just not comfortable. It's really, really difficult. Um, but you can train for skill, but often you can find people that are almost there, might need a bit of handholding, but their heart and soul is so into it. And because they fit you know, your culture, for example, always getting better. You hire somebody that's 85% rather than somebody that's 100% but doesn't fit the culture, they will outstrip them very, very quickly because they're constantly looking at ways to get better. I would say it's, it's got to be person. And you know, the reverse is true. If you hire people that do not fit, they will bugger up your organization. They will really get under the skin and you'll lose some of the people that you shouldn't lose. Yeah, definitely love that. Someone asked on LinkedIn yesterday. I can't remember who it was. If you were employing somebody and there's four answers, 
which one would you pick? The one you trusted more, the one that had the right cultural fit, the one that had the perfect skill set, or the cheapest one? I mean, the cheapest one, I don't know what that was in there. Um, but my instant action was cultural fit. Well, there was quite a few people that put trust. But I think... Well, if... I trust has got to be the kind of foundation of a good culture as well, though. You have to have that ability to go... You know, actually, we believe that you're here with the right intent. Yeah. If they were the and right that, cultural fit, then you're going to trust them, aren't you? I think yeah. They, so. Foundationally, if they're not there with the right intent and you don't trust them, they're probably not going to fit. So so what would you say to somebody who's still sort of sat on the fence about culture? Why is it, why is it so important? I think for two reasons. One, because you will make more money. <laughs> it's simple. I, I, can't, yeah. you know, I can't stress that enough. Even if you're a diehard Milton Friedman capitalist and you hate people but love money, you should do it this way because you'll make more money. I, I can't, I can't say any clearer than that. But, and this is where I'm coming from, from my heart. If if we can build businesses where every person in this country goes to work excited and energized and full of life because they're working in a culture that they're excited about, and they go home at the end of the day fulfilled, feeling like they've done something that matters, that not only impacts your business. But actually, that has an impact on our communities and the societies in which I live and the schools in which our kids grow up in and the health service. And, the, you know, the nurses are on strike today because of also actually all that would probably just disappear if every organisation was built with a culture that cared for people. Pretty much all those problems would just disappear. And so that is why it's so important that organisations do this, because it doesn't just have an impact on your business. It transforms the mood of a nation. Ben for head of NHS then. That's what we need. Ben leading the NHS forward. 12% pay rise for everybody. <laughs> except the middle managers. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yeah. Oh, quick, <laughs> Absolutely love it. No, it's such a great answer. And so just tell me, if anyone's sort of thinking, oh, I'd really like to speak to Ben more and work with him, you know, do, do you work with any size business now? And what's your, what, what's your niche and, and how do people contact you? Well, I've worked with uh, Unilever and McDonald's and Zurich and people up that end. I've worked with two or three people, kind of startups down the bottom. Majority of my work is with kind of the half million pound turnover, 15 people kind of space. That's the kind of space I work best in, in terms of those startups that are just about to go boom, but need to structure themselves so they can grow quickly. Um, but the best way to get hold of me is if you search for the culture guy on Google. Perfect. I'll be right there at the top. Boom, straight at the top. So what's next for you? Because I know you share a similar love for the stage and doing keynotes. Um, but so what's what's look 2023 looking like for the culture guy? And what's your plans? Um, I really, I, I'm really excited because, yes, there'll be more keynotes. I'm looking for more and more stages. Um, I've got people working behind the scenes trying to organize that, trying to get me in front of the right people so we can kind of, I guess, evangelize these principles of culture. Really, that's what I'm about. Um, but also I'm kicking off a membership program as well. So those kind of entrepreneurs that have got three or four staff need a space to talk about, well, how do I build this? We can help them. We can get alongside them and help them just as they're about to hit the stratosphere and grow fast. We can give them all the stuff they need to make sure that culture is there and grows with them, et cetera. So that's kind of 2023. That's the key piece of work in 2023. Love that. Love that. We're looking forward to uh, looking forward to seeing and hearing more about that. So um, we're sort of coming to the end of our time. What would what would your final words be to people about culture, you know, and, and what, what they and if they're listening to it and wanting to know more about it, wanting to get something across to their boss if they're in a job or wanting to implement it into their company? Tell them to drop me an email and I'll send them a book. That's a great place to start. Send them a free book. Um, 
but to me, I think the bottom line is going forward as more millennials and Gen Z and Gen, and Gen Alpha come into the workforce, this is going to become more and more a differentiator. Companies that do not think about this first are going to start to find it more and more difficult to get staff. And a lot of those companies are not going to survive the next 15 to 20 years because this is key. The, the, the group of people coming into the workforce now want to know that work is a meaningful part of a meaningful life. They want this fluidity. We want culture that works for them. They can come together with like-minded people and do something that matters. And so you re if you're going to survive the next 20 years, you have to start thinking about this stuff without a doubt. And you have to convince your boss, your CEOs, your executive team to start thinking about this stuff. And if they don't, go find a job somewhere where they do. Yeah, absolutely love that. You're right. And that's why I think, you know, you talk about Google being a really cool place to go and work and they've got like bean bags and pool tables and all that kind of stuff around. You know, you're certainly seeing a shift in the way the way the world is and the way the world works now um, with the hybrid and the different ways of working and, and the cultural fits and how how we look after our team. It's it's an as you say, a game changer for companies. Yeah, it is. And you know, COVID has helped the employees quite a lot because they were forced into it and realised, well, we can operate like this and we like it. So actually, you know, this social revolution is going to continue and it's only going to get harder and harder for organisations that like to control people rather than inspire people. Yeah inspire and inspire it's that book i told you about the other day yeah great. have you read uh, have you read that yet no i've got it written down here yeah you have to re you have to read it it's a great book um it's um yeah it's, it's really really good and i was reading it thinking ben needs to read this book anyway thank you so much for coming on fail for ben and sharing us um about all about culture what we're going to do is put your um, contact details um in the show notes so if anyone wants to get in contact with you or if you're listening now and you want to google it just google the culture guy ben jury he will come up straight away and get in touch with ben thanks for coming on ben thanks for having me henry